And we are back for another edition of the Daily Dots. And uh, I'm here with the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor, continuing down our path of watching what we think is one of the uh, certainly unprecedented, one of the most crazy macro environments I've ever seen, mixed with one of the craziest valuation environments we've ever seen and that anybody's ever seen uh, on all these levels. Um, so anyway, uh, another typical day for this market, uh, NASDAQ up what? 2.3, something like that, Chase, 2.2, 2.3. Yeah, about 2.2 Q's down, Q's were 2.07. On no news other than a fed member mentioned that they'd have to stop quantitative tightening at some point this year. Yep. Slow it down. And that makes the Q's rally 2.2%. Well, that and the fact that dealers are negative gamma. So as soon as it took off to the upside, they had to chase it and kind of reinforce the whole the whole day. And the fun thing too is that the same uh, Fed president also mentioned a bunch of other stuff, like they might have to hike again, and financial conditions were a problem, and everyone just chose to ignore all that part. Yeah, man, I, I it just the the insanity just keeps getting more insane. Uh, Nvidia unleashed some new products or new 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 complementary products was what I was reading through. It was some software program that they think will help the AI chip run better or something like that on a PC. I think there were also some graphic chips, like some actual stuff, but yeah, like some hardware for like gamers or something. Yeah. But, but here's what we're getting. And and this is the part that is so confounding to me. And, and let me reiterate, I don't think this is a normal market. And so I don't think that it means a crash is eminent. Okay. I'm not saying that. Um, but here's the difficulty if you have a shred of fundamental analysis left in you. And if you don't, I understand why you don't. Uh, it hasn't worked. But today on that new idea of a product, NVIDIA rallied $80 billion in market cap, something like that. $80 billion, like two fords off of a release of maybe some new graphics. Now remember, so, so that $80 billion is two and a half times their annual run rate as far as revenue goes right now. I, I, when you get to, I, I don't, we, and like I said, I, none of this means that a crash is imminent because I don't think one is. What's interesting is see how far it goes, but you get to a certain level where you're looking around at these things and you go, so you, you guys think NVIDIA, the announcement today was another $80 billion business that they just launched? Do you know what I mean? Where the law of law, I, you're starting to get to a point on so many of these things and, and people sit there and go, well, don't buy the expensive stuff, buy the cheap stuff. And you're like, well, that's what we did last year. We were flat. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So um, I, I don't really know. I, I'm really interested I mean, to see it how. It wasn't the only one. Every Everything Mag, Mag 7, I mean, had a had a nice jump today. They were all up about two, at least like 2%. Yeah. And so Apple has gotten, you look at like Apple suppliers all telling you demand's going, going down. And then Apple is up 2.4% today. So. Yeah. Which is 2.4%. So that's two, what it 250, almost 300 billion. What would that be? 150 billion in market cap today. I, I just, I think you've gotten to a point in markets where we're just throwing around numbers anymore. And I don't think anybody stops putting any context to them. For sure. And, and that's an observation. It's one that doesn't have any <laughs> – there's nothing actionable on either side of it. Like I'm not it, – it, it doesn't point you to a conclusion. Um, but it, it's, it's 
I don't know, is eerie the right way? I don't know what the right word. I just see that and I kind of look, I'm just looking around and going, is anybody, <laughs> is anybody paying it? Oh yeah, it's up 80 billion on the day. Yeah, let's stay announced some new chips. It's just crazy. I, I don't know what to make of it, man. I, I really don't. Uh, normally, yeah. I have a, normally I have a bunch to add, but I don't have anything to add on uh, on on NVIDIA jump in the day. I really, I just don't. I got nothing. Yeah, that adds to my other, I mean, put it in the same file as Apple just going vertical while it's posting the worst, Yeah, you know, the, the worst me, economic that, news me, it's, it's ever even, done. It's even more confounding. Confounding because it's not, you know, growing quickly. Yeah, Netflix. Or, or at all, as it turns out. Netflix bumping up against a 50, one of its highest earnings rates here, a 50 PE ratio. They're at a 7% revenue growth rate. I, like I said, I, I just, I have lost the narrative. <laughs> no, and I, and, and like I said, I also am not sitting there going, you know, cause it, you, you and I both know these guys, you know, when markets don't work the way that they think they should, or if they're confounded, that means that the market is broken and the bottom is about to open up and swallow it. Yeah. I think Harry Dent has called for an 80% correction Yeah, like right. The, for like the 12th annual, annual, you know, time. So, well, no, and, and, and look. For those of you out there, and I, I honestly hope that, you know, I, I honestly think it's gotten to one of, I was thinking about this over the weekend. Uh, and I had some interchanges on social media and then it was some clients as well. Um, there's a contingent of people out there that think that we've gone soft. And we, they're like, oh, Zach, Zach, you got, well, you guys have bought, the crash is coming. And I'm sitting there going, no, guys, you're listening to people that are telling you that asset prices are going to implode because of the dollar crashing. Okay, that, That's not the way this works. It would go to the moon. It would go to the moon. It's not the way this works. Here's the other thing I've got a problem with Harry Dent, okay, and, and all of his ilk calling for these 70 and 80% crashes. Okay, Do you think something about, that is about ready to happen to the economy that is worse than the complete shutdown of the economy during COVID? And stocks went up, right? They're just telling nightmare stories, trying to get it. But but in reality, in reality, I think the reality is scarier than that, right? Because if your argument is, is that this is way overdone, there's way too much, all that's true, but it's been true for a while, right? And if your argument is is the Fed is just going to step back and the government's going to step and they're they're going to let things, you know what what is Harry Dent's argument that that DC is going to balance their budget? Oh, trust me, I did not read that. No, I I just <laughs> and 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 the sad thing is is there's so many folks out there that buy into this, and 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 they're right to a cent. Like there, there's a part of what Harry Dent is saying that's correct. I think his has always been a deflation led. Yeah, problem, which- right. Right. Well, and, and he also comes from the school of thinking. Like I've talked to so many of our clients about, guys, you need to update your historical prism because the worst outcome is not a deflationary crash. That's it's not wildly easy to fix. Obviously, well, yeah. Right. Look at COVID. Unless, unless the only the only way like anything like that happens is if you start having failed treasury auctions and and then it becomes like a the Fed buys all of it or. Or you start having to actually do some cuts. How does that create a disaster if the Fed buys all the debt? The BOJ that, did that, it. It would assume that they did it. The BOJ did it. Maybe 
Maybe they I I will come to say that I believe there will be a day where the Fed by far will be the biggest bidder at at treasury auctions. Well, they wouldn't do that because they buy it through the they buy it through the deal. But same thing, honestly. Yeah. They'll buy and I'm talking mopping up 60, 70, 80 percent of it. Okay. And when that happens, you will not see a wave go through bond markets or currency markets that day. Now, there'll be a day where it hits the currency markets. Right. That that would be the outlet, of course. Yeah, but but if a government does not care about the degradation of its currency and it wants to print and buy up all its debt, it can. At some point, I think you 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 get currency to the point where – so in the, in the past, you've always been able to run QE full tilt. It didn't matter because was, there was no consequence, right? But if the, if the currency moves fast enough, all of a sudden there is some consequence. And that, that's where it becomes the thing where Congress probably has to actually cut some spending. And then you can actually get some disinflationary impulse. Man, we're a long ways away from that. Yeah I, yeah, I would say many years. Yeah, many years. Which means not much point in thinking about it at the moment. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you'd have to get to a point where you started seeing, and I don't even know where it'd come from, but I, I, I honestly feel like you'd have to start seeing other countries and 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 serious, you know, weight packing economies uh, uh, start doing responsible things too, right? Because as long as everybody is is being an idiot. You know, you win the beauty, you you win the ugly pageant, right? And 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 in currency land, that's really the only thing that matters. It's it's the reserve status of the U.S. Right, which is, you know, people talk about. Well, countries won't look. It's not just countries; it's corporations and individuals too, right? You got to convince the rest of the world that there is a safer currency and a safer place to put your money. And there's just not. I mean, you may not like the fact that that's it's that way, right? You may not think it's just. You might want to put your FJW hat on, your financial justice warrior hat on, but it is what it is, right? I mean, it just is what it is. And this is why we've been trying to tell people and push back on all these guys. It, we're not prima donnas. We don't not see the problems out there. We're just saying this isn't the same market. This isn't the same economy. This isn't the same fiscal and monetary regime that you grew up with. It's just not. And they're going to do whatever it takes at any level. Right. It's it's why you and I have said we think there are going to be some great buys in real estate this year, depending on where you're looking. Notice we didn't say that there's going to be a depressionary crash. Why? It, you know, the whole the whole uh, uh, commercial office space thing that we've been talking about, that's happening. I mean, 19.6% of offices don't have a lease right now. Yeah, it, it's happening. It's going to happen. Guess what happens if it starts getting out of control? The Fed will step in and put together a, 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 some kind of vehicle and let people refi or do something else. They, they've already started throwing around the ideas of forgiving auto loans. Now we're hearing that out of out of the out of the federal government. The Fed hasn't talked about that. But yeah, I haven't seen that, and I I find it hard to believe that would actually get through. I yeah I right. I mean, I see it very structurally yeah. different, and I see legislative hurdles, and I see that. But on the on the on the commercial real estate side, I don't see it nearly. For instance. Why did they do BTFP, right? They did it because their interest rates degraded the value of all that collateral held on banks' balance sheets, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the story, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't they do it if it was commercial real estate, commercial office space loans that were dragging the banks down? Because they're not the, the regulator of that. They're the regulator of the banks. So like they, they have that direct line to them where they – are allowed to go tap into those without 
really even having the oversight. They, if they start trying to mess with, um, you know, more niche areas like commercial real estate or, or consumer lending type things that, that, that brings different levels of scrutiny. So I'd say, I'm not saying they're not going to do that. I'm saying the, the bar to do that without Congress, uh, kind of like signing off on it is very, very high. Yeah. I just can't see Congress not signing. I, I, Look, anybody – if somebody starts losing money in this market, that's a reason enough for the government to print and start throwing money at something else. I mean I, I, I just don't – like do, do I think do I think real estate prices are going to go down this year? Yes, I do. Do I think they're going to plummet? No, I don't. Do I think commercial office space is going to get hit this year? Yes. My whole point is saying if it gets to a point where it starts unraveling in a way that starts having a very deleterious feedback – impact on if the anything, economy it, it would be the regional banks getting getting you know because it's yeah. not they're they're going to be the ones left holding the bag because if you're the investor on that side well it costs you a little bit to walk away and hand the keys over but what would prevent the fed from doing another um <clears throat> now i'm completely free they could just extend btfp what was the security trust corporation what or, or what was it called the this uh Something trust uh, back in the eighties, savings and loan deal. What did they? The um, well, they let most of those good die, but yeah, but they bought a lot of the paper off of it. Uh, it was this, wasn't it called the security trust? I don't know. Whatever the the, the the Fed and the were. I'm not. I can't remember exactly what the Fed's role was. This I thought it was the Security Trust Corporation. I think that's what it's called. The Security Trust Corporation is what they formed. Basically, a vehicle. I, I don't think. In, in idea, it was too dissimilar from the special purpose vehicle that the Treasury put together to buy up, you know, fallen angels and CLOs and all that kind of stuff they did during COVID. Um, but they bought a lot of that bad paper off of banks' balance sheets. I don't see why this is any different. My, I mean, my, and, my, and my point of bringing this up, sure, Chase, sure. my point of bringing this up is, look, I don't know how any of these one things are sorting out. I just I, – everybody – I share in your frustration. I share in people looking at this and going how ridiculous this is. I 100%. I agree across the board. But do not buy into the purveyors of doom out there and not because it's all better than you think, right? I'm not one of those guys. Look, I got a stack of these guys. These just feckless idiots on Twitter that think they're smart because they've ridden the biggest bull market in US history and they act as if bad things cannot happen. We're not one of those guys. What we're telling you is that the, there's a. I, I think economically you're at the same position that I heard Robert Kiyosaki, and I'll put him in a list of guys not to listen to either. <laughs> recently, was bragging about being a billion and a half dollars in debt because if he owes the bank a billion dollars, you're like, okay, Robert, you're about 15 years late to that party. Okay, that was the old adage that you know after 0809, and I know it. I know it predates that, but. Um, but just these guys, right? It's all this collapse. It's collapse. It's collapse. And they're like, because the government is so irresponsible. And you just have this giant hole of logic in their argument, right? Where they're like, you're like, guys, none of what you're talking leads to collapse. It actually leads to, it does, but not the kind you're talking about. It's the actual unraveling of an economy or a system, which is via massive inflation. Right. And I don't think massive inflation is right around the corner. I don't think we're I don't think we're two I don't think we're five years away from being Zimbabwe. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is a reality scarier than a deflationary crash. Cause 
there, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of pain that comes with a deflationary crash. There's a lot of benefit though that comes with well, it. I would, I would, I would push back and say there's a lot of benefit from an inflationary cycle. At the end of a deflationary cycle, you still have all that debt. At the end of inflationary, when you burned it off, you, now you burned it off by, you know, uprooting everyone's standing of living along the way. But you well, do end that without. But what, 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 but what I'm saying is, I think that the pain, I think the pain is pretty comparable on either side. What I'm saying is, there's really no coming back from an inflationary spiral. It, it's going to be a, it's it, it's going to be a permanently altering fabric of society type of event. Like you're not going to be the same country. At the I would end say of it. I would say the Great Depression was a deflationary collapse, and it. I mean, we you know we still talk about it, think about it all the time whereas on the flip side like you're talking about you think of weimar germany like it's still it's still in the german psyche even though none none of the people alive back then are alive today well that's what i'm saying i mean the look look here's my point look look what the consequences of a deflationary collapse for us were and look what the look what the consequences of an inflationary spiral were on germany okay i'd take our pain a lot a lot sooner than i'd take theirs i don't know i mean they they were very quickly an industrial powerhouse after that like well, yeah, but what I'm saying is look what it leads to, right? Countries cease to exist. Cultures cease to exist due to currency devaluation, not currency appreciation, which is effectively what a deflationary crash is, right? It's just currency going up in value a lot compared to asset prices. Yeah. I, I just – I think the, the, the flip side, the weakness, and I think and I think China is literally in, stuck or at least kind of entering this this kind of – possibility right now though is if you're wildly you know debt laden and you start having deflation that just becomes its own spiral where people can't pay that debt um they consume much much less and then they that hits demand and then like it just becomes its own spiral where people can't pay their debts and the debts get bigger in real terms because you know you're making less money they're so they're literally getting pay cuts right now literal paid disinflation deflation i should say in china but they're wildly in debt so when you have deflation and pay pay going down but you have just massive amounts of debt that's completely impossible scenario to get yourself out of yeah and and to 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 add uh an anecdote awful well yeah and to add an anecdotal example that i think most people who live through the last 15 years will understand i think a really good comparison or a really good analogy to what Chase is talking about is imagine being in a reversed or a negative amortized home loan in a housing crash, right? So literally every month you pay your payment, your balance owed is going up while the value of your house is going down. That's China's economy today. Yeah. Straight up. That's it's welcome to 0809. Their economy is literally like a negative amortized loan. Everybody's like, what's a negative amortized loan? Okay, this is another reason why I don't think the housing sector is nearly as dangerous as it was in 0809, despite the fact that I do think house prices are going down. But here's here's another thing that's different. People, I don't think people, a lot of people don't even realize this. A negative amortized loan is where they're like, okay, if we factor your payment on 30 years at this interest payment, your payment is 2,500, but we'll only make you pay 1,800 and we'll take that other 700 every month and tack it on the end of the loan. So your debt is going up by $700 a month on the loan as you make your $1,800 a month payment. And the reason people were willing to do that back then is they were so sure the value of the house would go up faster than the value of the loan, right? So 
they, we are not doing that today. I don't think there are any negative AM loans even left on the, I don't even think you can get one. Yeah, the average mortgage is just wildly in the favor of the borrower. Yeah. Wildly. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy that people even give them out, honestly. No, yeah. I mean, if you had, yeah. I If, I mean, no. To, to, I, the, to the rest of the world, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is just insane. They just don't understand it. You go, you talk to people pretty much anywhere else on earth and they're like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? If you're the lender. Well, and it's yet, I mean, subsidized it's, by a policy, yeah, here, basically. Yeah. Well, and they shouldn't. If you think about it, it makes no financial sense. Oh. Nobody well, would lock in all the a risk. 30 year debt at those levels. Right. No, nobody would. I mean, you, look, look at the things that happen in 30 years. It's ridiculous. Right. But it's another level. Let's, let's bring back in the talk of the U.S. government. Right. <laughs> guess, guess who's underwriting that? Exactly. It's the U.S. government. Right. So my whole point in bringing this up is not that there are going to be ups and downs in markets, but I just very much believe we've crossed the event horizon of, you know, markets making people pay. The times have changed. I just, I just don't think you're going to see that. I just, I just don't think you're going to see it. I don't care how crazy it gets. I, I mean, do you think I'm being too? No, I, I, I'm basically, I, I think really bad things can happen, but I think all bad things that can happen, like, any time, any if anything happens where the economy jumps out the window, there's like, uh, there's like a big coiled like trampoline at the bottom. Um, well, and and, and 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 the point that I'm trying to make is, do I like that? No, it, it, it's it's it makes a complete mess and mockery of markets. And I think most people listen to that realize that. But I think there's a point where you have to look at the imbalances and go the imbalance. And I've been you and I have been talking about this for years, and I've been talking about it as long as I've been on the radio, which is. You have to think about this. You have to inject some philosophical thought when thinking about this market. It is not the one you've been taught about. It's not the one your grandparents grew up in. It's not the same market that dad bought IBM in 1982 or what. It, 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 things are different, right? And when you go, when you, the problem is, is when you have a scenario like 0809 that I do believe changed the, 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 the course of the world. I think we took a turn in 0809. And for 15 years, you do all of this, quote unquote, extraordinary monetary policy and extraordinary fiscal policy and debts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, When ceasing to do those things would create as big of a disaster as you were trying to avoid in the first place, right? You're not going to cease to do those things, right? You're like, well, why'd we do 0809? Keep the system from imploding. Okay, well, if there's an existential debt crisis, you know what I mean? Like, and then all of a sudden the Fed's going to look at the Treasury and go, well, got to figure out where to sell those bonds to. You know what I mean? Like, we, right. it, just, it just doesn't make any sense on the face of it. And furthermore, I think every single time you have these interventions, every single time you have one of these bailouts, it only increases the likelihood that the next one's going to come. Yeah. Right? Like, just because it, it keeps- Something has to take the keys away from the players involved. Yeah. And that's just- well, it's very, very difficult to imagine in the near term. Yeah, and at this at this point, I, I don't think forty years ago, with the difference in the way markets worked, I, first of all, I don't even think we would have gotten here forty years ago. I don't think markets would have allowed it the way that they functioned then, um, because markets could take the keys away still back then. I, yeah. I I just don't think they can anymore because the way markets took the keys away. I, I mean, that's what quantitative easing really was. What it was, right? Quantitative easing was central banks going, we will not allow you to take the keys away. If you won't buy the debt, we will. And that will make you buy the debt because as soon as you know, we're going in there and splashing the pot and buying $2 trillion worth of debt, you're damn right. You're going to front run it. Right. You have to, 
Yeah, it was like before Tepper was throwing drinks on Jaguars fans, he was going on CNBC and be like, well, they're going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Did he throw drinks on Jaguars fans? That happened. He got fined a bunch of money. Why did he throw drinks on Jaguars? They were like right in front of him in his like owner's box. Um, And he got probably talking trash or something. So he threw a drink (laughs) on him. You know what's funny, man? I would love to do – I was thinking about trying to – and I don't even – I probably can't pick this up. I probably can't figure this out, how to make this happen. But I'm going to try to ping as many guys as I can. I would really love to get Tepper on and have a football investment talk. That would be amazing. And I, I would, of course, have you joined with us. But I would love to, sp- to talk to him. I, I, yeah, I'm going completely off the dots subject here. <laughs> but but I know I would just love to talk to him. Like I'm watching. Stevie Cohen talks baseball too. Yeah. Well, I just I, I feel like he's trying to manage an NFL football team like he ran a hedge fund. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. And Dave's a Dave, I respect him as much as yeah, I do anybody. He's, he's as investor. smart as they come. Don't you agree? I mean, oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he's proven it. But what do you think about watching him run an NFL football team? Uh, bad start. Yeah, bad start. Good idea would be if you're going to hire a coach, you got to get more than half season. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> another good idea is not to draft the wrong quarterback. But. Well, another good idea is not to be the deciding factor in who you draft. Yeah, you can't you as just, an owner. Either you either do that really explicitly, or you just don't do it. Yeah, well, I, I always, always give uh, Jerry Jones credit because he just owns the fact that, like, this is my team. It's my toys. I get to play with it. Yeah. Because a lot of owners don't. They pretend like some other people are doing stuff, and then they're the ones doing it. Okay, that being said, Jerry Jones has three rings, and none of those occurred because he was doing his own thing and playing with his toys. Yeah, I'm not. That was when he let Jimmy Johnson play with his toys. Yeah. And as soon as he didn't let Jimmy Johnson play with his toys, he – well – They won like one playoff game in 20 years. After. Yeah, and everybody's like, they won a championship with Barry Switzer. And I'm like, yeah, the team that – With, the team with, that with Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson's toys. <laughs> yeah, with Jimmy Johnson's toys, exactly. And they only got one. So anyway, gee, I, I kind of went on a tirade today, but I really yeah. wanted to clear that up because we don't, – don't you think – don't you see that where like you're kind of torn, right? It's this bull bear argument, and then you hear a lot of these people on the bear side and go, listen – what you're saying is true. I get it. I understand the angst. I under, but you're not playing the game in front of you, right? It isn't going to go that way. It just ignores the way the entire system functions. Yes, like Harry Dent, man. Not, it's an important thing to not ignore. <laughs> People are still listening. They that is the only the, the 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 guy the newsletter writers that are like him. It's the only job you can be wrong for fifteen to twenty years and still be making tons of money. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing. Really. It it really is mind blowing. So anyway, uh, do we have anything else coming up well, on the docket this year? So yeah. just just real quick, we had one notable data point today, and that was consumer credit. Expectations were for it to grow at about eight billion, and it grew over twenty three billion. So definitely fitting with the Q three acceleration theme we've been. What's driving talking that? About uh, credit card debt for the holidays. I'm assuming is why. It, how went flying when we see total net debt contracting how do we see those things happening at the same time i would say you don't see total net debt contracting we've seen bank credit flatten um but in general like and and, and just to be clear when we see and, and, bank credit flattening what it means is the 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 nominal number of debt the nominal amount of debt that they are holding facilitating whatever is not growing right so right loans and in, 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 so whatever they're opening is being counterbalanced by loans they're closing or yeah. whatever. And, and you can have consumer debt keep growing and then, you know, business debt kind of go down and then the two wash each other out or real estate kind of freezes up and then you get less lending. And I mean, the, the banks, the banks for the last really nine months have, have really pulled back on lending for 
multiple reasons, like more than we can get into now as we run long, but um, that could let up a little bit for maybe a quarter or two, I think. Uh, well, well, here's the other thing. When you see delinquency numbers, when you see the kind of things that we're seeing going through, how is that not crimping the flow of credit? I, I just – Well, it is. I mean like we're saying, it, it has slowed down a lot. But you just had $23 billion in new consumer credit for fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, crimping credit cards is a little more uh, – that that's one you're not going to see as much as oh so you're saying most of that it was it was mostly yeah it was mostly credit card uh from the data okay so but, that's not a strong economic revolving side. and non-revolving both jumped but it's it's like a, you know it's consumer debt that's you see that crimped less than business debt because business debt is so massive and yeah. real real estate debt is so massive if you give some idiot a eight thousand dollar personal loan or eight thousand dollar credit card like they can only do so much damage versus yeah. yeah sure you can have three billion for that you know downtown block like that can become a problem for you Jeez, <laughs> crazy environment, man. Back to back to uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad's point there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, now on a non-football related topic, uh, whether you know it or not, we are all Washington Huskies today. Sure, we just lost a bunch of our, our big contingent there in the Great Lakes area, Michigan fans. No, pretty wild though. Uh, see, to, to ninety-one. I watched the Huskies Coach beat Michigan for uh, a split national title. And uh, two years ago, we lost to Montana. Montana. Now we're in the championship game tonight. Montana played for national championship yesterday, in fact. I know. Kind of a weird deal, right? Yeah, didn't pull it off. but Two years ago, they beat us. That was in Washington, Washington Husky Jeez, Stadium, yeah. too. Montana That's a beat quick, us. quick comeback. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer, man. And if, Coach of the decade. For those listening, he is 100 in what is it? 104 and 11 is a head coach in college football. 104 and 11. Stunning record at like two or three different levels. We're about to rip off five championships in seven years. Watch. He's, no. the, new, he's the new Nick Saban. We are the new capital of college football. I'm here for it. Little overstated. Little overstated. Anyway, you know, it should be a good game. I, expect, I respect the living heck out of Harbaugh and the program he's built. And uh, it makes me nervous because Michigan is the best at exactly how I would attack the Huskies. Great defense, yeah. run the football, and and Harbaugh's teams are tough as nails. Uh, should be a great game, I, I hate to admit that I also respect them, uh, but if Michigan was playing AIDS, I'd root for AIDS. <laughs> so so you're not a Wolverine fan? Not, not so much. I grew up a Buckeye fan, so... Oh, okay, there you go. Not really a Buckeye fan anymore, but I did grow up one, so the, the hatred for Michigan never left. Oh, that's right, Cleveland. I'm not sure and, why. And the, and the hatred for cheating never uh, that never left either, so... Yeah, I know, but I, have we really figured out whether they did anything that anybody... Oh, he, oh, well, but if you look at the entire list of the things he has done... Yeah, the dude on the sidelines? Like, just... Everything Harbaugh's been accused of since he got there. It's it's a really long list with some serious stuff on it. It's not just it's not just the sign stealing thing, which may be one of the smaller infractions in my my opinion. But I, I my physical trait, my personal trainer uh, played for him at USD and at, and at the Niners, and uh, he just we were talking about it, and he goes he goes man, if he did the sign stealing, he's like it was probably done like an off the cuff screw you know kind of like a screw you kind of deal because because he's like dude Harbaugh's not a cheater. He doesn't seem to be a rule follower either. Well, I judging yeah. by history. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. Like sympathetically as a Seahawk, we have those rivalries, right? As a Seahawk fan, I, I hated him. 
but after a while, man, you just watch a guy and you're he's, like, you're a really clearly, good football he's coach. He's clearly a really good football coach. A, There's no doubt. You're a really good football coach. He, he built a, a Big Ten team into essentially an SEC team with physicality and stuff, and that's impressive. Yeah, it's it's amazing. He turned Stanford around. USD was great. San Francisco. Yeah, the guy just wins. So Yeah, and Stanford's back to not being any good, so it shows you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, all right, guys, that was by far our longest dots, but we had a lot to cover. Go dogs. Yeah. Hope you guys have a good one. We will see you again tomorrow. You are listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.